0: Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make A, a comedy docu-series podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make A Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make A Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make A Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts people who have worked on big things like the Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make-A are available now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast.
2: When you ask a cool dude musician who their influences are, it is pretty rare to hear them say, my grandma. But that is what John Legend says, as you're going to hear today. A lot of his approach and feel and the way that he puts notes together when he plays the piano comes from the influence of his grandmother. John shares some insight on what it means to steal from the best and shares why he wanted to write his own songs in the first place. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. That's Guy Like Me by John Legend. It's one of the songs from his album, his latest album, Legend. John Legend has been making chart-topping music since the mid-2000s. His debut was a a smash hit album called Get Lifted. You might know the songs All of Me or Ordinary People or Greenlight. He's also a multi, multi multi-award winner, one of the very few people in this world with an EGOT. That means he has an Emmy a Grammy, actually 12 Grammys, uh, an Oscar, and a Tony. But besides his awards and his artistry, John Legend is a guy who often lends his voice in moments that really, really matter. He's not afraid to use his fame to fight for a cause that he believes in. His latest album, Legend, is a record in two acts that sheds light on a few different sides of John and the guy he is and the music that he grew up loving and listening to. Here's his conversation with Tom
1: Power. How are you? Great to see you. Great to be back with you. It's nice to have you
0: back. I, is there meaning in calling the record Legend?
1: Yeah, it was my way of self-titling the album. I thought Legend sounded more, you know, iconic than calling it John Legend. So I felt like, uh, you know, this, this album is a double album, so it felt like a big statement for me. And uh, it feels very reflective of who I am as an artist, all my inspirations and and influences all my stories uh all my loves in my life and uh i felt like this was the time to self-title the album
0: so you felt like now more than ever this is a now more than ever this is a record that speaks to who you are so therefore it's 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 like the record is nothing else but who you are so that's why the
1: title is what it is i think that's that that's pretty close to being right but i you know I, i think um you know In every moment in your career when you're putting out a new project, um, it represents where you are in your life at that time. Um, But I feel like this being a double album, this being uh, just full of uh, so much creativity and energy that we put into it over the last 18 months, I just felt like this was the time.
0: Close to being right, by the way, is the tagline for this show. A lot of people don't know that.
1: Close to being right. (laughs) That's what I aim to be. (laughs) Me too, buddy. Me too.
0: Let's play a clip from the record. Take a listen to this.
3: I told her you're the love of my night. I won't stop till you're the love of my life. I won't stop till you're the one that I'm taking home. One I've been waiting for. From his new album,
0: Legend. Let's turn that up for a second now, so that's my fault.
3: I almost talked this over the
0: drop, John. <laughs> like <I've
1: been>
0: <laughs> uh, great song. Uh, so I, I, saw, I thought we could talk about the the double album in uh, in sort of order. So let's talk about the the first act on the record. Yes. What 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 were you going for here?
1: So when we, you know, I had written so many songs during this time because we were home a lot more and uh, not able to travel, not able to tour. And so I had just so much material to kind of uh, work through and decide, you know, what was going to be on the album. And then when it occurred to me to do a double album, I thought I would organize it into acts and I organized it into act one, which I called Saturday Night and act two, which I called Sunday Morning. But the vibe of act one, Based on the two songs you've played, you can kind of tell what the energy is. It's more tempo, It's more fun and 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 danceable and sexy and and um, a little more physical and sexual. And um, and then act two, we made more intimate and spiritual and um, more um, introspective and and mellow. And so um, I think that represents the different sides of our musicality and also different ways of thinking about love and and uh, and in the different stages of your life
0: let's let's stay with the first record for now I know you started playing music and you and I have talked about this in the past that you started playing music as sort of part of your religious upbringing so when when music is part of your religious upbringing when do you start to realize and maybe it's part of it when do you start to realize that music can be joyful
1: well, growing up in the Pentecostal church, music was very joyful. You know, the uh, energy in a Pentecostal church is is not very staid. It's not like going to a Catholic service or something like that. It's a very charismatic service. Uh, the music is always intended to lift people up, energize people. People dance, they shout, they uh, exclaim loudly. So... Uh, it was never not joyful. It was never not uplifting, never not exciting, uh, making music in the church. Um, of course, when you're doing it in a secular realm, it opens up a lot more subject matter, opens up a lot more things. But, um, I think I've grown up with music that was intended to be Exciting and fun.
0: So you so you're in the church, you're listening to music that is joyful and and fun and exciting. And you're right. Yeah. I grew up in the Catholic church, which was mainly a lot of chanting and crying. So, <laughs> so I just went to a
1: Catholic wedding this weekend. So I, you know, uh the music is definitely different. <laughs> how
0: was how was the music? Were you were you were you shaking your head going like I don't know about this guys, I don't know.
1: Oh this. no, I mean I I have respect for traditional music. I think there's something uh, you know, I think the the constancy of it and the tradition of it is there's something beautiful about that too. I like but, the
0: uh, organ the organness and choirness of it. I don't love the acoustic guitarness of it sometimes.
1: Uh yeah. Well, uh, we grew up in the church where there was a Hammond B three organ. We had a drum set. Uh, some churches would have a full band. They'd have a guitarist and a bassist and a keyboard player and and uh, it would be you know it would be a jam.
0: I heard a theory uh, a little while ago. I, th- I wanted to run past you. I was talking. I was in the the states, and I was talking to somebody who had also grown up in the church. Now they had grown up in sort of the white evangelical church, mm-hmm. playing um, playing. Uh, uh, I think mandolin and a little bit of guitar, and uh-huh. they were spectacular musicians. Like I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. And, and I said, "Is there any connection between the way you were brought up and how good you are at your instrument?" And he said, "Sometimes I think that when you are." obsessed with the idea of Christ uh, as a perfect that you yourself then want to be as perfect as you can on, on your Mm. instrument.
1: You know what I mean? Okay. I mean, I'll take that, but uh, I don't know if that was ever my motivation, but um, I think just the act of playing in front of people every week, having to come up with something, uh, develop something with a group of people, I think it just prepares you for being a great musician and, and a great collaborator um, in life because you're, you have to come up with something every week. You know, you have to like rehearse, you have to come up with a, a plan. And then there's a lot of improvisation in our church as well. Uh, because somebody can stand up and, uh, during testimony service and just break out in song, you have to find whatever key they're in and, and figure it out and follow them. And so I think that's just trial by fire for a lot of musicians because it, it takes you being on your toes. It takes you being, Able to read the room, and uh, I think um, that kind of training you don't get it in a lot of places, and particularly, you know, as a teenager,
0: it's your ten thousand hours,
1: exactly. And your and your your grandmother taught you piano, is that right? She taught me gospel music, and uh, I, I I was also taking classical piano lessons as a kid. Um, actually, before she started teaching me, but uh, if you were to draw any connection between someone's style and mine i think the strongest connection would be between my grandmother's and mine
0: what do you mean help me understand that a little bit better
1: i mean i play like her like i when i play gospel music or soul music get um, get
0: nerdy for me like what do you what what do you do what do you do i think it's
1: just the little things it's the voicings it's the uh, um, embellishments that she would make if you ever listen to aretha franklin play piano Uh, She's actually quite similar stylistically. Uh, They grew up around the same time in the same area of the country. They were both uh, pastor's daughters. And uh, if you listen to her play, um, it it reminds me of my grandmother as well. And uh, I was very influenced by my grandmother.
0: Aretha Franklin's piano playing doesn't get talked about enough, I love Aretha I
1: know, she was playing. great at it and you know, her voice is just the headline so uh, I think people neglect the fact that she was such a great pianist and a great arranger as well and uh, she was just a great musician.
0: I think about someone like you. I mean, when you were coming up, you were good at piano, but you were good at a lot of things. You were sort of like a high-achieving kid.
1: Yeah, I was very precocious and, uh, you know, nerdy to an extent. And, uh, yeah, to a large extent. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, I was, you know, number two in my high school class and student body president and, uh, and also, you know, loved to make music. And so, you know, there were a lot of options before me. Uh, as I was thinking about what to do after high school. But music was always what I loved the most and what I put most of my energy into. When did you realize that
0: it wasn't... Because I think a lot of people who would then find themselves with a lot of options ahead of them, they, mm-hmm. would ha- they, would, you know, they would be high achievers like yourself, like you just mentioned. They would choose music as a path. They might play other people's music. They might be side musicians, or they might be great classical musicians, or they might become music teachers or music therapists. Um, when did you realize you also wanted to say something through music? You wanted to, to, to write music and sing your own
3: music?
1: I started writing music when I was a teenager, and I loved the idea of being in control of what I was going to sing, I think, uh, more than anything. And I still did a lot of covers back then. I would cover Stevie Wonder and Luther and, and Lionel Richie and, and various other artists. Jodeci and voice to Men, and uh, I would cover them, but I always loved the idea of writing my own music, and I think it was a control thing. I like to be in control of what was coming out of my mouth, uh, in control of, of how the crowd would react to uh, my performance, and I think writing made me feel like I was in more control.
0: In control meaning you you knew everything that would come out of your mouth. You, there was no variables. There was no one else you had to rely on.
1: Well, I wanted to figure out what it was that I wanted to say. Like I, it, 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 And I think it was always connected to performance too. It was always like, I'm going to go out on that stage and I want to write the thing that I'm going to sing because I know what I want to say and I want to, I want to be in charge of making that song happen.
0: That's something else to know,
1: John, when you're a teenager. Well, it's something that happened over time. I think it was from performing a lot, from performing other people's songs a lot, and then just figuring out, oh, I, I want to say what I want to say and say it how I want to say it. And uh, I really got joy from creating new music. And I you know, sang in different groups, and I would have the group sing it, and it'd be fun trying to figure out how to... Get the rest of the group to to learn the song that I had just written. It, it was fun. I loved it, and it brought me a lot of joy. and And the more I did it, the more I, I felt like, oh, I'm pretty good at this.
0: You, you were, I mean, you, I get it. I know what you know. I I understand what you're saying there. That you know, when you start, you start getting good at something. It's encouraging. It's encouraging yeah. to know that you're good at something. That this is starting to work. I also know that people can get caught up in a a trap of originality that they feel like they need to be as original as they possibly can when it starts working. And it was through that, that I read that Quincy Jones, I don't know if he said it directly to you or which is something he said.
1: Something he said, he didn't say it to me, but he he said, steal from the best and, and steal from the
0: best. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what he meant was basically, don't be ashamed of having influences, uh, like listen to them and draw from them, learn from them and use some of their ideas, you know, Um, eventually you're going to make it your own as particularly if you do it a lot, you're going to draw from different influences and combine them. And that, uh, that, you know, that alchemy that brings all that stuff together is eventually what you are, who you are and what your voice is, but it's informed by other voices. And and all of your influences. And I, I'm proud of my influence. I, I love having great influences and listening to them and learning from them and and directly referencing them when I'm working on a track. Um and uh and I think that is good advice for any creative person because nothing's new under the sun. We're always, you know, making uh something that's influenced by other things. So why not have good influences and and be intentional about cultivating them. Yeah, I mean,
0: you're, the, the, the thing about you can sit down and, at the piano and if you, you can tell yourself you sound like everybody else forever and you'll never write anything.
1: Yeah, because there's always aspects that have existed in the world before, but the cool thing as a songwriter is to figure out a new way of saying something that's been said before, a new way of telling a story that's a tried and true story. Um, and you're going to be influenced by what's come before you. But if you manage to do that, but still make it fresh and make it exciting and new, if you manage to do something that's personal and make it universal, um, I think that's when you found the holy grail of songwriting. That's what we're trying to do, I think.
0: You told me you were covering Stevie Wonder when you were a kid, and you told me that you got this advice from Quincy Jones. Um, You hear this advice from Quincy Jones, and and you start to apply it to your own life. When Mm. things start picking up for you, John... Who's the who's the kind of first hero from those days that you actually got to meet? And what oh, was and what was that like?
1: I got to meet Smokey Robinson pretty early on. Uh, I was uh part of a tribute to Smokey that BET did um in uh the fall before my first album came out. So this is before I even had a, an album out, but I was signed to Columbia and and uh uh Stephen Hill uh, who was uh, in charge of running those shows over there at BET? Booked me to um, be part of a tribute to Smokey Robinson.
3: Please welcome one of our newest and brightest young stars singing the title track from that album. This guy is incredible, John Legend. I got to
1: meet him, and I think that was the first big hero of mine that I met, um, aside from people I worked with, with Kanye, so, you know, I got to meet Jay-Z before that, I got to meet Alicia Keys before that, uh, and various other artists that Kanye and I were writing or, 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 or making records with, uh, and then I got to meet Stevie Wonder not too long after that, because we did a the Dueling Pianos version of My Sharia Moore m- mashed up with Ordinary People.
3: Maybe someday you see my face among the crowd Maybe someday I'll share little distant cloud
1: We did that at the BET Awards, uh, and then Stevie has become a good friend. He sang at our wedding. He's uh, been a part of it so many wonderful moments in my life since then but yeah it's pretty amazing when you meet people that you were covering and looking up to and and uh idolizing as a kid
3: you're pretty cool
0: you're pretty cool even you know i've talked to you a couple of times you're you're pretty cool you're pretty even are you able to keep it pretty cool and even in those moments
1: Well, in the moment with Stevie, I think I was because it it was the first time we met was at rehearsal. So I was really focused on, well, let's make sure this rehearsal goes well and (laughs) the performance goes well. Uh, And so I wasn't as, you know, fanning out uh, as I would be if it were a different circumstance. I think probably the most starstruck I got was when I met Prince. we weren't working together. We were. Just, I just had gone to see the show, and um, was able to go to the after party. We were signed to the same record label at the time, and uh, I got to meet him. This is in the first year of my career uh, after having been signed and and put out my first album, uh, and uh, that was pretty incredible. I was definitely starstruck then.
0: Did you hold it together? Or did you?
1: Oh, I always hold it together. But I was. <laughs> I, was I was. I was definitely excited.
0: So when when folks, so I mean, even looking at this new record, this this record we're talking about today, there's a lot of collaboration on on this record. Some some collaboration with peers of yours, and some collaboration with new with newer artists or artists that yeah. are, are, are that are younger than you. Is that is that on your mind at all? That you might mean something to them?
1: Oh sure, I mean I like I know what it's like to be on both sides of that, you know, uh, of that interaction where I was the younger artist and being included on records with people I would looked up to for a long time. And then, uh, and then I, I've been the older artist uh, booking these younger artists to, uh, be a part of my record too. And, uh, you know, I, I often meet people now that say they grew up on my music, which is always weird to hear, you know, I don't feel like I'm old enough for that to be true, but I am now. <laughs> and, uh, And uh, it's always, you know, I find it flattering and gratifying to know that these artists that I think are really good and really cool, that they look up to me and they uh, were inspired by my music. Um, That's pretty amazing. I worked with Pink Sweats on this album on a few tracks, and uh, he's such a talented artist. And he just, you know, told me how much he loved me, how much he'd listened to me over the years. And he's been such a lovely person to collaborate with and get to know. Um, but it, it is, like, it's inspiring um, to know that, um, and, and satisfying to know that, you know, you've inspired these artists that you really like and you think are really great at what they do.
2: Cool to think of that through line, right? Who John Legend came from and who he's passing the torch to. That was the first part of his conversation with Tom Power about an album in two acts. Uh, more of their chat coming up. They'll talk about the more intimate side of John's new album, Legend. But first, I want to play you a song from the record. This one's
3: called Dope. She's so dope. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. She rolled up, it's automatic. My mood is excited. She lies. Straight to the pain She beautiful, she magic She chemical reactor
2: It is Dope by John Legend featuring J.I.D., one of the many collaborations on Act One of John Legend's uh, latest album, double album called Legend. Coming up, you'll hear more of his conversation with Tom Power. They'll talk about Act Two, the more introspective, intimate side. And John shares how he learned to find joy and pick up the pieces even through grief. Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. Q is back in a bit. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of Tom's conversation with multi-Grammy award-winning musician John Legend. They're talking about his latest album, which is called Legend. It's an album in two acts. So as you heard in the first part of the interview, act one, danceable, upbeat, fun. John called it Saturday Night. And now we get to act two, which he referred to as Sunday Morning. It's more introspective, more intimate, more personal. And some of it touches on a loss that John Legend faced with his wife, Chrissy Teigen. They lost a pregnancy a few years ago, and they were very open about it. That's where the second part of the conversation between Tom Power and John Legend picks up. And it starts with a bit of music. This one's called Pieces.
3: Oh, wasn't it you told me that grief was a teacher And everything you ever loved would leave you, leave you alone and the only thing you can do is pick up the pieces. Let your broken heart learn. Learn to live in peace. That's John
0: Legend and Pieces. Uh, John, as much as you want to, can you tell me about that song?
1: We to live well, it's a, it's a song about figuring out how to live with grief and with loss. Of course, We've publicly grieved uh, over the past couple of years as a family and we know what it's like, but we know that also so many families lost people to COVID, lost people for other reasons in the past few years. And this song just felt like it needed to be on the album. It's a song that's about figuring out how to continue to live, even though we suffer loss and and pain and grief even though we mourn um it's figuring out how to pick up the pieces and keep going
0: it's a, it's a funny thing it's a hard thing when you go through a tremendous loss like like you have um mm-hmm. with the with the loss of your your child and and the the loss that a lot of um a lot of people have gone through in the next little while y- you do feel like when you experience mourning and grief the world is supposed to stop there that's supposed to be the period you know
1: yeah, you stop and we definitely stopped for a while and uh, it was just hard to think about like what we were going to do next, hard to think about work, hard to think about, you know, any of that stuff. Um, yeah, eventually you never forget about the loss. You never erase it from your memory, but you find a way to keep living and, and. uh and find joy in what you do have, find joy in your family, find joy in yeah. just laughter and, you know, yeah. making you laugh. And uh, you find a way to keep living. Uh, but you're, I don't think you're ever the same. And that's really what the song is, is saying, you know. Can you talk to me
0: about, I mean, expressing this through your music? Is that is that for you? Is that for us? Is that for...
1: I think it's for me and for everyone else. And, you know, I've never just made these records for myself. I never thought of them as merely, you know, uh, for my own, you know, development and my own uh, healing and my own edification. I've always thought of it as something I wanted to share with the world and connect with people through my music. And so I want people to feel this and and if it can help them heal, um, that would be wonderful. I, I'm. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I went to two weddings this weekend, uh, and one of the weddings, I, I talked to someone that just talked to me about how going to my show helped save his marriage, and I was like, okay, you know, you don't. It's weird knowing that uh, what you're doing on stage might, you know, change people's lives, and I, I never go into it assuming that that would ever happen. But when you hear that from someone, it's really moving because it's like, wow, what we're doing up here, um, it can speak to people and, and you don't know what they're going through in that moment. And it can be really meaningful. And um, he he didn't seem to be using hyperbole. He was just telling me, it was like, yeah, we were going through a really rough time. We went to your show and it really changed everything for us. And we've been so much better since then. And I was like, OK, I didn't really know what to do with it because it yet you don't really know what you're doing in that moment in the show. That's going to move people in that way. But, um, music, it can have that power over people. And, and, uh, I feel like it's part of who I am to want to share it with people and hopefully, um, inspire them, move them, make them feel something.
0: But what about, what about you?
1: What about me? Yeah. What about you? Music can be healing for me too. I think the act of writing it, the act of recording it, the act of performing it can be healing. And I, and I think this album making process was healing for me.
0: Yeah. I wonder, I wondered about that. I wondered, you know, I I was very curious about the, what we talked about earlier, about the the religious upbringing. And I'm very curious about that in, in, in what that does to a musician and how it makes me. Well,
1: you know, I, when I listen to pieces playing just now, I thought of it in some ways, it's like a devotional, like a, almost like a hymn. Some of my songs have that hymnal quality to them. And uh, clearly, you know, Rooted in where I come from,
0: and I think I think that music, while like re- religious music, while we talked about it at the beginning, while being joyful, being
1: joyful in in, in the music you were listening, it can with, be solemn too, and it can be healing. Yeah, healing, absolutely.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you were able to get that. Um, let me. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about. You just told me that story about the 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 guy coming up to you at the wedding, which is a bold thing to do, by the way, come up to you and go, "Hey, John Legend, you saved my marriage." <laughs> um, and, but but I think but the idea of music being inspiring has been a big part of you from a really, really young age. And, and mm-hmm. being able to use success in music to enact change you want to see in the world has been a part of you. And I think people would know you through your activism and you know, through, through the work you've done. But I was reading, and I think you've talked about this a little bit, but I didn't know this. And, and we're getting the rap soon, but I'm going to ask about this. You wrote this sort mm-hmm. of like McDonald's essay when you were 15, where, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, you said, I want to become a famous musician so that I can... Make, is, is this, what, what, what happened here?
1: Well, I, I said, I, I want to become a famous musician. The, the, uh, the prompt was, how do you plan to make Black History? It was a Black History Month essay competition. And uh, my answer was, I'm going to become a famous musician and I'm going to use my success as a successful musician to try to make change in the world, try to uh, uplift my community, try to fight for justice and equality, and, uh, you know, I, I looked at my heroes and, and other artists that i would grown up loving and listening to people like Stevie Wonder, who never shirked that responsibility and that uh, privilege, really, to use your success to try to make the world better and, and, and to move people uh, politically and inspire people to make change. And so I, I always thought that was part of what it meant to be an artist. And uh, all of my favorite artists were like that in one way or another. So I felt like that was part of what I wanted to do in the world. And I didn't see it as separate from being a musician. I felt like it was, it was part of it.
0: Uh, John, congrats on the record. I love talking to you. Thanks so
3: much for your time.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
3: There are some things that you should know at times the world gets awfully cold, but I'll still be there. You'll grow up and make mistakes, find roads that are still unpaid, but I'll still be there. That's a bit of the song Home
2: by John Legend and his timeless, timeless voice. Before that, you heard his conversation with Tom Power. That's it for this episode of the podcast, but you can find another new episode today. It's my chat with Meryl McMaster, who does these elaborate self-portraits. She's a photographer, and she makes ornate costumes for herself to wear in natural landscapes. We talk about her mixed heritage. She is uh, Plains Cree, Métis, Dutch, and British, and she talks about how sometimes the tension between those identities is difficult for her how she explores that difficulty and kind of reconciles it through taking these self-portraits you can find that in your feed right now i'm talia schlanger sitting in for tom power i'll see you next time